And after the November election last year, I knew that significant reforms to our state elections were needed really? to make it easy to vote oh. and hard to cheat. Oh, really? The bill I signed into law does just that. Oh, really? Does it, Governor Kemp? Does it also keep the press out? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. As it turns out, it does. I got the feeling that something right. Imagine that. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Mm. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We've got a very big show for you. In fact, we've got some pretty big National news that we will break here today on the broadcast, and it is, in fact, um, also some personal news of a sort, as I am a named plaintiff on behalf of press freedoms in a federal lawsuit filed today in Atlanta, Georgia, which I will explain momentarily with the leader of the group filing what could be a landmark lawsuit in the fight for both voting rights and, yes, free speech rights and, yes, constitutional press freedoms, which is the part where I come in, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yes, those and constitutional maybe, freedoms are important. Yes, kinda. and maybe where you come in, too, by the way. We, oh, really? We, yeah, we, we both could be uh, in trouble. Oh, dear. That's a problem. Uh, that, well, that's why I'm suing. Anyway, uh, because this now affects me here at bradblog.com and on the Bradcast and on and also on our flagship station, KPFK. And yes, every affiliate station across the country and the world who carries this broadcast. So you may want to pay attention to this news as I explain it in a little bit. I will be uh, uh, I will explain all shortly as I'm joined by Coalition for Good Governance's Marilyn Marks to discuss my lawsuit, I guess, against the state uh, as filed this morning uh, by her and uh, the Coalition for Good Governance and a number of other plaintiffs. Yes, it will be a strange interview indeed, I suspect. First, some other big news breaking today. 
On uh, on Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court teed up the possibility that the GOP's stolen and packed right-wing majority may now be about to chip away in the best-case scenario or eliminate altogether the line drawn by the landmark 1973 decision Roe v. Wade protecting a woman's right to an abortion before viability of a fetus's ability to survive outside of a woman's body. As TPM's Tierney Sneed observes, the anti-abortion activists who spent big to help President Trump pack three justices onto the Supreme Court will finally get to see the value of that investment. The court announced on Monday that it will review a legal challenge to Mississippi's ban on all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. A federal appeals court previously struck down that ban as unconstitutional, a violation of Roe v. Wade. In its one-line order on Monday, the high court said it would consider whether all, whether uh, uh, pre-viability prohibitions on, elect- uh, on elective abortions as is the case with the currently blocked Mississippi uh, law, whether those are unconstitutional or not. Though the justices have sought to limit the scope of the case, it uh, the case now presents an opportunity for the court's newly emboldened and stolen, yes, stolen right wing to rewrite longstanding jurisprudence and court precedent on abortion law and opening the door to a flood of new restrictions on the procedure. Politico uh, reports that anti-abortion groups on Monday celebrated the Supreme Court's decision to take the Mississippi case. The anti-abortion group, ironically named Alliance Defending Freedom, said in a statement that it was, quote, glad that the court was taking up the case, claiming that, quote, viability has never been a legitimate way to determine a developing infant's dignity or to decide anybody's legal existence, they say. Gene Mancini, the president of uh, March for Life and a a former George W. Bush uh, administration health official, said states should be allowed to craft laws that are in line with both public opinion on this issue as well as basic human compassion instead of the extreme policy, she says, that Roe imposed on states. Abortion rights advocates, meanwhile, renewed warnings that a decision gutting Roe could set off a chain reaction In Republican-controlled states, nearly a dozen of them, in fact, which in recent years have enacted so-called trigger bans outlawing all abortions if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Nancy Northrup, the president of the Center for Reproductive Rights, which is representing the Mississippi abortion clinics, in fact, there's only one currently still in business in the state following Uh, Previous restrictions on the practice that have closed uh, all but one down. Uh, The group is challenging the state's ban. She said, quote, alarm bells are ringing loudly about the threat to reproductive rights. Adding the consequences of a row reversal would be devastating. The move to take up the case is now the most significant step that the U.S. Supreme Court has taken on abortion since the confirmation last October of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's third appointment to the high court when she was rammed through the Senate confirmation procedure in record time by Republicans after they killed the filibuster 
for Supreme Court nominations. They had no problem doing it there. Uh, And in that way, they were able to seat Coney Barrett with a lifetime position on the high court just eight days before last year's presidential election in which Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden. Coney Barrett, considered to be the court's strongest opponent of reproductive rights, replaced late Justice Ruth Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court. She was a champion of those rights. The court sat on Mississippi's request to take up this case for several months. That fueled speculation about what the reconfigured court may or may not do on the issue. Before Coney Barrett joined, Chief Justice John Roberts joined the liberals in essentially holding up the status quo, the precedent around abortion law in the last major abortion abortion case that came before the court. That 2020 case asked the court to revisit a 2016 decision that had struck down extreme abortion clinic regulations that appeared aimed at closing clinics instead of protecting women's health. While Roberts voted in favor of the restrictions back in 2016, at that time, the liberals had the vote of Justice Anthony Kennedy on their side. Uh, In 2020, Roberts sided with the liberals to uphold Roe v. Wade and the precedent set by that landmark ruling. Coney Barrett's addition to the court, however, means that Roberts, no matter what he does, will no longer be the deciding vote on the issue, as 2021 brought another slew of restrictive abortion measures at the state level following the seating of Coney Barrett and the establishment of a 6-3 right-wing majority on the high court. If the court affirms Mississippi's 15-week ban... The recent surge in restrictions would be only the beginning. The Center for Reproductive uh, Reproductive Rights, Northup, warns the Supreme Court just agreed to review an abortion ban that unquestionably violates nearly 50 years of Supreme Court precedent and is a test case to overturn Roe v. Wade. And if you think the Supreme Court won't overturn precedent, just go to bradblog.com, look up my... uh, I think it was the last show that we did with Mark uh, Joseph Stern on this program when the court tossed out, didn't even acknowledge that it existed, just tossed out precedent on um, on juvenile justice, basically on uh, life uh, sent life sentences without the possibility of parole for kids, for children. They basically said, sure, that's fine with us, and ignored all of the precedents uh, that previously said, no, that can only be done in very specific circumstances. Yeah, if I remember correctly, they effectively just invented a... Hey, you know, it's not we're not changing precedent. Don't don't tell us we're changing precedent. We're not really changing precedent. Therefore, we are not changing precedent, even though we are changing precedent. They were absolutely changing precedent. And so um, keep your eyes out for something similar here. Uh, Speaking of America's out of control right wing, (laughs) Joel Greenberg, the former Republican Florida tax official whose uh, criminal case has led to a sex trafficking investigation of GOP congressmen and top Trump toady Congressman Matt Gates pleaded guilty on Monday to six of the 33 federal charges that were brought against him. And he acknowledges that he plans to fully cooperate with the federal investigation. 
wearing a jail jumpsuit and a blue surgical mask and in shackles. Greenberg admitted his guilt to six of the 33 charges initially filed in his indictment which are uh, identity theft, stalking, wire fraud, conspiracy to bribe a public official, and, yes, sex trafficking of a minor. Asked by the judge in Orlando federal court if all the counts against him were factual, Greenberg repeatedly said yes. Greenberg's plea could now spell very big trouble for Congressman Gates. Greenberg is an associate of the Florida Republican, and federal officials are looking into whether the two use the Internet to find women that they could pay for sex and whether Gates had a sexual relationship with a minor that he paid to travel with him, according to The New York Times. Greenberg's cooperation in the case comes in exchange for federal prosecutors dropping the other 27 federal indictments that he had faced. Though those could be reinstated if they find that Greenberg has lied or is uncooperative in any way on anything that he is now obligated to share with federal investigators. Gates, of course, is an outspoken supporter of Donald Trump. He has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing. He has not been charged yet with any crime. The Washington Post reports today that investigators found evidence, quote, potentially implicating Gates in sex trafficking after probing Greenberg's conduct. So stay tuned for that one. And then uh, sometimes the media itself becomes a part of the story that they are covering. And it is always a sort of a strange and uncomfortable position to be in when that happens. It happened over the weekend, for example, in Gaza, of all places, amid the recent deadly fighting that exploded last week just before a new, more moderate Israeli government uh, in opposition to the disgraced Benjamin Netanyahu and his hard-right Likud party, uh, just before that new, more moderate government was to be officialized. Uh, so Israel continued to slam the Gaza Strip all weekend long with airstrikes in a dramatic escalation that included bombing the home of a senior Hamas leader, killing a family of 10 in a refugee camp, most of them children, and pulverizing a high-rise that housed the Associated Press and other media, according to, yes, AP. The Hamas militant group continued a stream of rocket volleys into Israel in response, including a late-night barrage on Tel Aviv. In uh, that case, one man was killed on Saturday when a rocket hit his home. Uh, but since the conflict began, Israel has leveled a number of Gaza City's tallest office and residential buildings, alleging that they house elements of Hamas, the Hamas military infrastructure. On Saturday, it turned to the 12-story Al-Jalah building, where the offices of the AP, the TV network Al Jazeera, and other media outlets are all located. The Israeli airstrike on Saturday destroyed the high-rise building, despite repeated urgent calls from the news agency to the Israeli military to halt the impending attack. AP called the, the strike, quote, shocking and horrifying. Twelve AP staffers and freelancers were working and resting in the bureau on Saturday afternoon when the Israeli military telephoned a warning giving occupants of the building one hour to evacuate. 
Everyone was, thankfully, able to get out, grabbing a few belongings before three heavy missiles struck the 12-story building, collapsing it entirely into a giant cloud of dust. Although no one was hurt, the airstrike demolished an office that was like a second home for AP journalists, AP reports, and marked a new chapter in the already rocky relationship between the Israeli military and the international media. Press freedom groups condemned the attack, uh, the attack accused the military, which claimed the building housed Hamas military intelligence, of trying to censor coverage of Israel's relentless offensive against Hamas militants, says AP. For 15 years, they write, the AP's top floor office and roof terrace were a prime location for covering Israel's conflicts with Gaza. Uh, with uh, with Gaza and the Hamas rulers there, including the wars in 2009, 2012, 2014. The news agency's camera offered 24-hour live shots as militants' rockets arched towards Israel and Israeli airstrikes hammered the city and its surrounding area this week. Those cameras now will no longer be there to show the world what is going on in this conflict, And those reporters no longer have a home base from which to cover it. A video broadcast by Al Jazeera showed the building's owner pleading over the phone with an Israeli intelligence officer to just wait 10 minutes to allow the journalists to go inside the building to retrieve valuable equipment before it was bombed. All I'm asking is to let four people to go inside and get their cameras, he said. We respect your wishes and we will not do it if you don't allow it, but give us 10 minutes, he pleaded. When the officer rejected that request, the owner said, you have destroyed our life's work, memories, life. I will hang up, do what you want, he said. There is a God. The former, uh, I'm sorry, the Foreign Press Association representing some 400 journalists uh, expressed their uh, grave concern and dismay over the tax, knowingly causing the destruction of the offices of some of the world's largest and most influential news organizations, raises deeply worrying questions about Israel's willingness to interfere with the freedom of the press. They said the safety of other news bureaus in Gaza is now in question. Joel Simon, the executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists, said the attack raises concerns that Israel is targeting the media, quote, to disrupt coverage of the human suffering in Gaza. He demanded detailed and documented justification for the attack. The International Press Institute, a global network of journalists and media executives, condemned the attack as a gross violation of human rights and internationally agreed norms. And as AP reported on the story in which it had unwittingly become involved, they quote AP's president and CEO, Gary Pruitt, who said in a statement, we have had no indication Hamas was in the building or active in the building. Noting this is something we actively check to the best of our ability, he said we would never knowingly put our journalists at risk. Pruitt went on to describe the news agency as shocked and horrified that the Israeli military would target and destroy the building housing AP's bureau and other news organizations in Gaza for so long. He warned the world will know less about what is happening in Gaza because of what happened today. 
And of course, that is almost certainly the point, as it always is when governments attack journalists and their ability to let the world know what is going on and what those governments are actually doing. Which, yes, brings me to the big news that I mentioned at the top of this program today, in which I am myself uh, now, apparently, involved today, comfortably or otherwise, uh, as I am suddenly thrust into part of a story um, which we have been covering on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com for years now, yet with even more intensity over the past few years as the state of Georgia has played a larger and larger role in our national elections. Well, as AP also reports today, Georgia's sweeping new overhaul of election laws threatens the fundamental right to vote, freedom of speech, and the separation of powers, according to a federal lawsuit filed on Monday. The suit against the Secretary of State and members of the State Election Board was filed in federal court in Atlanta by county election board members, individual voters, election volunteers, nonprofit organizations, and a journalist. Well, that journalist that AP refers to there, as it turns out, is some guy named Brad Friedman, a journalist that uh, the more than 200-page lawsuit notes is, quote, a radio broadcaster, journalist, and blogger who has reported on Georgia election integrity and election security hundreds of times over the past almost 20 years. Plaintiff Friedman, they write uh, in the uh, lawsuit, publishes his blog, bradblog.com, and hosts his weekday nationally syndicated radio show, The Bradcast. My complaint against Georgia's horrible new anti-voting law known as SB202, as described in today's federal lawsuit. Well, that's next on the broadcast, as I am joined by Marilyn Marks, president of the Coalition for Good Governance, who filed today's lawsuit on behalf of those several plaintiffs mentioned by AP, which, at least in the U.S., has not yet been bombed by the government She joins us next to explain why I and her group are suing the state of Georgia over its new anti-voting law. And it is not for many of the reasons that you may have heard about this law from other groups who are also suing. In my case, it's about freedom of the press and the ability to actually do my job. I will explain straight ahead. I am plaintiff Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yes, I'm going, going back to Georgia Where my memory strays through the southern waves of my youthful yesterdays From New York to the coast of California I am going back to Georgia. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As noted at the top of the show, some pretty big news to cover here today on the Bradcast. Comfortably, uncomfortably, or otherwise today as I have become a part of the story 
that I've been covering for so many years. Uh, for folks who have listened to the Bradcast or read bradblog.com, you know we've been covering elections and issues of election integrity pretty much everywhere in the U.S., for nearly 20 years now, but there may be few states that we have covered closer, particularly in recent years, than the great state of Georgia, which narrowly flipped to support Democrat Joe Biden last November for the first time, electing a Democrat at the presidential level for the first time in decades. And then again in January of this year, when the Peach State elected two Democrats to two U.S. Senate seats, giving the party control of Congress's upper chamber. And though Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and very Trumpy Republican governor and former Secretary of State Brian Kemp both certified Brian, uh, Biden's victory over Trump in the state, they were attacked mercilessly by the disgraced former president, who claims, despite any evidence to support the charge that Georgia was somehow stolen from him last year, despite the lack of evidence to support claims of widespread fraud, Georgia Republicans who control the state legislature passed a sweeping election reform bill earlier this year in record time, signed by Governor Kemp just hours after passage imposing a, a, a number of limitations and restrictions on voting, like making it harder to vote by mail, shutting down absentee ballot drop boxes, barring the distribution of food and water to voters waiting in the state's notoriously long lines, though they're generally only long in certain areas of the state, which are disproportionately minority areas, as luck would have it, and much more in that bill. There have been a number of lawsuits by a number of voting rights groups which, uh, against this, uh, this, this law, SB 202. They tend to focus understandably on those aspects of the law where, you, where, they, uh, are, where the law disproportionately affects minority voters. But as we noted on this program, the day after the measure was adopted and signed with longtime election integrity expert and, by the way, former Republican Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, there is some stuff in this nearly 100-page bill that was as disturbing, if not more so, than those restrictions on voting themselves. And a lot of it did not receive much attention in the media. As Marx explained on this show at the time, she was most troubled in those early hours after the bill passed by a provision which would allow a single partisan, essentially selected by the partisan Republican state legislature, to overturn entire bipartisan, to re, I'm sorry, to replace entire bipartisan county boards of elections for virtually any reason at any time, to both undermine elections and even overturn results in those counties. Had such a law been in place during the November 2020 election, she argued, the entire vote in, say, Atlanta in Fulton County could have been reversed or tossed out entirely by one partisan Republican official. Just as Donald Trump had demanded and, by the way, is now being criminally investigated uh, for attempting to do. But on Monday... A new federal lawsuit was filed against Georgia's SB 202, and as I noted before the break, I happen to be one of the plaintiffs because part of SB 202 actually bars my ability to report on elections in the great state of Georgia, as I have been doing for almost 20 years now. 
As AP reports today, the lawsuit against the Georgia Secretary of State and members of the state election board was filed in federal court in Atlanta by county election board members, individual voters, election volunteers, nonprofit organizations, and a journalist. And yes, I am that journalist. AP explains that the legal challenge asks a judge to declare parts of the new election law unconstitutional and to prohibit the state from enforcing them. As the suit reads, liberty requires at least three essential things, an unfettered right to vote, freedom of speech, and the meaningful separation of powers. This lawsuit, it writes, is necessary to preserve individual constitutional rights and constitutional government against the attacks that the law makes on these three pillars of liberty. AP observes that the new law makes it a felony to intentionally observe an elector while casting a ballot in a manner that would allow such person to see for whom or what the elector is voting. Makes it a felony. But the media outlet, uh, AP, correctly notes that the large touchscreen voting machines that Georgia uses makes it hard for anyone in a polling place to avoid seeing a voter's selection, leaving voters and observers open to a felony charge, they report, that could discourage their participation in the election. The new law says uh, monitors and observers, that would include media observers, cannot communicate, quote, any information that they see while monitoring the processing and scanning of absentee ballots to anyone other than an election official. So let's say I'm observing uh, or someone who I work with is observing the ballot counts and they see something completely untoward, completely illegal, completely questionable. They can't tell anybody. They can't tell me. I can't tell you. All they could do is tell an election official under this new law. It also criminalizes monitors and observers tallying, tabulating, or even estimating votes, which means that observers, including news reporters, would run the risk of criminal charges for reporting on absentee ballot processing, tabulation problems, or progress in the counting. Even estimating, how's it going? Eh, it's going pretty well. I think they have a few more, a uh, few, a uh, couple of thousand more uh, ballots to count. That is a crime if I do that in the state of Georgia. The law also makes it unlawful to photograph or record the face of a touchscreen voting machine while it's being used to vote. <laughs> Which is just incredible. AP notes that news media frequently shoot photos and, and video of people and voting inside the polling place. This new provision would criminalize exactly that constitutionally protected speech, according to the lawsuit. Plaintiff Friedman, a journalist, the lawsuit explains, will be injured by SB 202's prior restraints on his First Amendment rights of free speech and freedom of the press, which is imposed under penalty of misdemeanor by the gag rule and the photography ban. Under SB 202, the lawsuit reads Friedman will be prohibited from reporting mail ballot dis balloting discrepancies or security concerns that he or the Brad blog or the broadcast journalists may personally observe as members of the press. In addition, Plaintiff Friedman will be injured because the party appointed observers who he has relied on to supply firsthand accounts, for example, co-plaintiff Gene Dufort, 
who has been on this show several times, uh, are prohibited under penalty of misdemeanor from reporting on their observations, incredibly enough. The enforcement of the photography ban will prohibit plaintiff Friedman and his associates from bringing photographic equipment into the mail ballot processing operation, which is a traditional place from which press photographers and reporters document the process of elections. In recent elections, thousands of press photos were widely published of anonymous voted ballots from the mail ballot workrooms and audit rooms in Fulton County. And video was recorded, uh, video interviews were recorded with officials during work in those rooms. That would all be unlawful now. Plaintiff Friedman and field reporters he would otherwise engage will be deterred from observing or photographing polling place activity so long as reporters are at risk of being accused of a felony, a felony for observing a voter's selections on the touchscreen voting machines, even accidentally. Plaintiff uh, Friedman will be deterred from monitoring mail ballot processing so long as reporters can be accused of the misdemeanors of, quote, estimating or, quote, attempting to estimate any of the votes on absentee ballots cast. Plaintiff Friedman is already injured, according to the lawsuit by SB202, because the criminalization of constitutionally protected activity has a chilling effect on his exercise of First Amendment rights. It certainly does. It adds, Plaintiff Friedman is threatened with injuries arising from SB 202's prior restraints on his First Amendment right of free speech and right of freedom of the press. Of course, there's much more in this lawsuit. It's about 200 pages. It was filed in federal court in Atlanta today by the nonpartisan, nonprofit Coalition for Good Governance, whose founder and executive director, Marilyn Marks, has already won a number of key victories in the state for all voters there. For example, one of the group's ongoing lawsuits uh, resulted in a ruling from a federal judge that banned the state's 20-year-old Diebold touchscreen voting systems, finding them unverifiable, unsecure, and therefore unconstitutional. That was good news at the time, only to be undermined by Secretary of State Raffensperger, replacing them with the state's new, huge, very difficult to not notice touchscreen systems that are equally unverifiable, made by Dominion Voting Systems. She has joined us many times over the years to discuss the various nightmares in Georgia, and the fight for all of its voters there. She joins us again today, filing today's federal lawsuit. Oh, Marilyn Marks, welcome back, I think, to the broadcast. And, and am I committing either a misdemeanor or a felony just from having you on today? Because in truth, Marilyn, based on SB202, I'm no longer sure. Yeah, well, yeah, um, I have a feeling that they'll find any little tripwire they can about the two of us. Brad, uh, you know, if you were complimentary toward Georgia, yeah. now I don't think you'd have a problem. Oh, I'm complimentary towards Georgia and its <laughs> voters. Yes. 
just not the people that run it. You know, I got to say, uh, when, when you cited initially, when you we, when we talked, you know, previously about the provisions in this new Georgia law that would actually make it arguably impossible for me to do my job as a journalist without violating Georgia state law in some way, uh, you know, by either a misdemeanor or a felony or both, I was kind of stunned and taken aback, and I was angry, to be frank. Uh, yeah. Have I mischaracterized anything yet in the, in the no. lawsuit that you filed today in federal court? Because it seems incredible to even believe. It, is, it does seem incredible. And no, I am just so angry about it, too. Um, I, I've stayed angry over this last month. And, Brad, I'm also angry about the fact that the press has just, kind of let this go. Um, they are so focused on some of the other elements mm-hmm. of SB202, they're forgetting to to take a look at what this could really mean when you shut down total transparency, particularly in the context of a state takeover of mm-hmm. a county election. And- you know, you get rid of your public board, you replace it with one partisan appointee, and then you start saying, which they're going to say regardless of the takeover, mm-hmm. no cameras, no reports back to anybody. You know, everything must be concealed. Obviously, that is a recipe for major mischief and major undetected manipulation of the election results. Uh, well, I should think so. And I would think, uh, you know, you say that the, the, the media has sort of dropped the ball here. Uh, you, I know you uh, filed this lawsuit this morning. Uh, I wasn't able to talk about it until today. I know that uh, now the media has been picking it up. AP, I think Atlanta Journal-Constitution, News 11 in Georgia. Uh, have you heard back from some of those folks in the media because uh, this focuses, you know, not entirely, but, but quite a bit on the freedom of speech issues and freedom of the press. Have you heard from any folks in the press saying, yeah, you know what, I didn't notice that before. This is disturbing. Um, yes, I have. I have heard from um, a couple of reporters who have said, well, well, no, we didn't read that part of the bill. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, I think perhaps it's just overlooked. I don't know, but what a shame yeah. um, that that um, it's it's just now mm-hmm. um, beginning to be an issue. But maybe, Brad, that's a good thing because perhaps uh, with voices like yours, we will get more attention on that, as well as the very egregious and dangerous takeover mm-hmm. situation, which yep. um, which we think you know the counties are at risk any time now mm-hmm. for being taken over by by the state. And and let me hit that very quickly, because we, we talked about it before on the show, and, and maybe we'll get into more detail here shortly, but I want to make sure that we at least hit it. Basically, when you talk about this takeover, takeover provision... Uh, as as I understand it, uh, this goes back. Uh, essentially, they can the state board of elections can find pretty much any reason going back. If I understand it, like five years, four years, four yeah. years, to find something wrong that some official did on some county board of elections, and instead of even removing that person, which would be bad enough without any due process, uh, they would then use that to remove the entire board of elections, often bipartisan board of elections, and replace them with a single person 
who then has all the rights and abilities of the Board of Elections to certify elections, to reverse them, to, or anything else. Am I understanding that correctly? That is exactly right. And they don't even have the power to remove them one by one. No, it's you wipe out the entire board. And take out the, you take out the two Democrats, the two Republicans, the, um, unad- um, the unaffiliated guy, uh-huh. and you replace them with one partisan person. So essentially that all they have to do is find up. one person on that board who did something wrong and use that as an excuse to remove everyone. Yes, but you don't even have to find the person on the board. Anybody in the entire department. So it could be, you know, somebody down at the lowest level of uh, assistant poll worker. Wow. Um, Yes. And so there are pages and pages of rules. And if you violate three rules over a four-year period, Mm -hmm. you've, you've tripped the wire. And we put in our lawsuit some of the examples just to show how trivial they are. Uh If somebody fails to print a badge for a poll watcher, okay, that's a violation. If you let the humidity in the storage room get above uh, 80% Uh on a rainy day, that's a violation. In Georgia? In Georgia, good luck keeping it (laughs) ever below 80%. Good God. Okay. And so, yes, I mean, just trivial things. Wow. Um, and and uh, can, can, trip, can get rid of the entire yeah. board. So they've really just rigged it. So whatever board, county, they decide that they want to control, they've got the ability to do it on a retroactive basis. So it's not even three violations going forward, but as you say, going back four years. Wow. Um, and so you, uh, it's almost not even worth talking about as to whether or not anybody's in violation, everyone's in violation. And uh, so uh, that is, you know, and that's troubling enough in and of itself. And you and I have talked about it before. That's gotten some attention, but got, you know, much less attention uh, is this stuff, how they're essentially criminalizing my job as a journalist. Now, this is, as, as I say, it's a bit strange to, you know, sort of, A, be part of the story myself and B, interviewing you uh, Marilyn Marks about my part in the story, but let's uh, make the best of it here. You explained to me a, a number of ways that you believe that my previous reporting on Georgia on this show and at bradblog.com, uh, sometimes with you, sometimes with others, would have in fact been criminalized had SB 2020 uh, been in place. Let's step through a number of of those ways in which I or folks that I've worked with over the years in Georgia would have broken the law if uh, SB 202 and its assault on press freedoms had been in place. Let's start with a a matter that involves another one of my co-plaintiffs in this suit, I'm proud to say, Jean Dufort, who uh, she discovered that Georgia's new computer tabulating systems were during the primaries last year were actually failing to count potentially thousands of perfectly legal votes. We had her on the show to explain that news that we would have been breaking the law, Marilyn Marks. Well, she would have if this and you mm-hmm. know, I don't know that repeating the the her words would have been breaking the law, mm-hmm. but you would have been enticing her to break the law. Mm. Um, but but let's think about it. what if that 
this law had been in place. Now, mm-hmm. as you know, you recall, Jean was on the vote review panel, right. which was the panel that looks at ballots that are not being interpreted well by the machine. Mm-hmm. When she found this problem that was a systemic problem, a statewide problem, so she calls me, she calls Hari Hursty, mm-hmm. we talk to the lawyers, we talk to AP, we talk to you, and, you know, the word spread, the state denied there was a problem. Of course they denied, denied, denied mm-hmm. there was a problem. We took it to court, we showed the judge that there was clearly a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Then the state improved their scanning. They still have not totally fixed it, but they improved it to some degree. Would any of that have happened if Jean had just had to sit on her hands? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or in this case, she could have told, apparently, I think she could have told election officials, <laughs> but they were the ones denying that it was exactly. happening. Exactly right. And, um, you know, it's just unbelievable. And so yeah. you would have been enticing her to commit a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and this crime, of course, is, you know, letting people know that their own votes are not being counted. Their legally cast votes are being ignored by this brand new voting system that uh, would be unlawful under SB 202. But that's not all that would be unlawful, no. as you explain. Uh, t- tell me a few other ways that I okay. will have well, would have previously I've... broken law or may in the future under this. Well, um the- uh, on on Bradblog, you frequently post a picture. You've posted yep. many a picture of election activity, mm-hmm. including people look in the mail ballot rooms mm-hmm. looking at hand-marked voted ballots. Mm-hmm. To take a picture of a ballot now is a misdemeanor. <laughs> so those pictures that you posted. Evidence of crime. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. That's great. Yes. Great. And, you know, if you were there in the polling place with us as a reporter, mm-hmm. you would not be permitted to take a picture of anonymous ballots. And, you know, we see thousands of pictures mm-hmm. every election of, of um, voted ballots yep. being counted. Yep. But for some reason, well, I guess we know what reason, they are criminalizing it. So, again, you w- maybe you would have been an accomplice to a crime there. Yeah, yeah. How absurd is that? Now, the other thing, that if you were in the polling place, mm-hmm. as you know, if you were in the polling place reporting with us, and as you know, those touchscreens are so large. You've heard me complain about them for two years yep. Touchscreen, We call them jumbotrons. Yeah. They're so big that literally you can see how someone is voting from across the room. Yeah. We've had some of our interns drive up to a polling place with large windows, yep. and sitting in their cars, they could see how people were voting. From outside the polling outside. place. They are so large. Yes. yes. They could literally tell which candidate they were voting for. And, and doesn't, that, in their- doesn't that make yeah. those people and all of the people inside, the poll workers, the poll yes. uh, observers, the voters press. themselves, the press... All, everybody liable for breaking the law by even accidentally, I guess. You can't help but see these you huge can't screens. Help but see. And they say that it is a felony now, a felony, if you, quote, intentionally look. 
well, these things are so big, it's like walking into a McDonald's yeah. and saying, don't look at the hamburger sign. Right. Don't look up at this brightly lit sign. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's absurd. And then how am I going to know if you're looking at that or, you know, looking at your friend? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it is just ripe for abuse, for retaliation, yep. and for voter intimidation, Brad. It's bad enough that they could come after you as a journalist, for walking in, trying to take a picture, or even looking around, mm-hmm. uh, you were intentionally observing. Well, Okay, but imagine, I mean, you can get on your radio show mm-hmm. and, or on your blog, and you can let the world know. You've got lots of people who would come to your defense. Imagine some of these people in Georgia who have been railing against mm-hmm. this law, yeah. who have been protesting. Yep. who has been protesting about some of the sponsors of this law. Mm -hmm. We have members who are African-Americans in counties who have been protesting about this law who are now afraid to go vote. And I can understand that because, you know, it would be very, listen, putting my lawyer hat on, uh, if, which I'm not a lawyer, but if I had the hat, I would put it on and I could make the case, you know, for example, when I post a picture of of people voting in the polling place, uh, if I'm the one who took that picture, I could easily make the argument that you purposely Mm -hmm. took, I mean, because you know, you you took the photo, so that was on purpose. And if there was any voting machines on it, that's you're purposely looking at someone's vote. Now, I, you know, they may or may not make that case, but if it's someone like you, Marilyn, and you know somebody who the press, uh, I'm sorry, who the government does not like, they can find anything really to charge them, to harass them, to chill their ability to, uh, whether it's free speech, whether it's freedom of the press. This makes it a no-brainer. I can understand why voters would be afraid to vote. I could understand why observers would be afraid to now be observers. And I would understand why someone like me, a member of the media, might be afraid to go into a polling place to just cover an election, whether, there's a, whether we've heard there's a problem there or not. Right. And, and it's not a misdemeanor. It is a felony. <laughs> what and about the yeah. state election board has has a policy that they've had for years. They, they will investigate all complaints, no matter how crazy. So the government could come after you, your former uh, neighbor, your former employer, the, you know, mm-hmm. somebody, yep. somebody who has a hostile relationship with yep. you could decide to use this in an abusive way, uh, a political enemy. Yeah. So it, this is the biggest voter intimidation tool in the whole package. Stand by, uh, Marilyn. I need to take a quick break here, um, and I, I want to ask you about this estimating ban. And also, <laughs> okay. I, I know that you said uh, you'd be kind enough, and I don't know if we'll have time, but if you have a question for Marilyn Marks, or I guess for me, since I'm plaintiff, 818-985-5735 is our phone number, 818-985-KPFK. If you have questions for uh, Marilyn about all of this, uh, which is just astounding, 
And I'm so grateful uh, that the Coalition for Good Governance, which you can find at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org, I'm so grateful they are filing this suit uh, and that I have uh, been honored to be brought on as a, as a plaintiff here. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back uh, with more with Marilyn Marks and your calls if we have time. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> Yes. That's a night that they it's, an innocent man. Yeah, it's it's the it's the the oh, year that the lights the went out in Georgia. The lights, the bright lights of the media, can no longer report on elections without risking uh, b- breaking the law, a, a misdemeanor or a felony, just by covering elections. Just what we do, so we certainly do here at the Bradcast and on Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Welcome back to it. Um, as I am uh, the uh, named journalist plaintiff in a federal lawsuit filed today in Atlanta uh, against this uh, terrible Georgia law, SB202, which is terrible in so many ways. Uh, but as it involves me in this case uh, by abridging my freedom of speech, chilling the freedom of the press, I'm speaking with Marilyn Marks, the uh, president of the executive director, I should say, of CoalitionForGoodGovernance.org, who has fi- who has filed this federal lawsuit today, um, with just the amazing number of things in this thing. Uh, Marilyn Marks, uh, explain to me how estimating absentee ballot tallies uh, would be, and I'm confused now if that's going to be a, a misdemeanor or a felony against me. But what is it? <laughs> just relax, Brad. That's only going to be a misdemeanor. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Okay, thank God. Um, it's, it's, but it's a thought crime. Yeah. <laughs> so, How is, yeah. So literally it says that you cannot estimate or attempt to estimate anything about votes in the ballot processing room for mail ballots. Now, I get it. We can't be disclosing something like a, a tentative vote tally mm-hmm. before the close of polls, mm-hmm. but this doesn't have any limit on it. Even in the days after the, the election, you know, initial tallies are in, you're not supposed to estimate or, or um, tally. Mm-hmm. But certainly that is the job of the press, of the appointed watchers, to be in there trying to make sure that if it looks like a thousand ballots came in, then a thousand ballots went through the scanner. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, how in the world, other than totally arbitrary and capricious kind of enforcement, do you tell somebody, oh, you were attempting to estimate? That is literally the law, that you cannot estimate or attempt to estimate. So if I'm watching uh, absentee ballots being tallied on, on election night, and I come out and I uh, speak to the audience on the radio or on TV or whatever, and I say, oh, they're in there, they're working, uh, the working is moving along quickly, I would think they have another uh, five or maybe 10,000 ballots to be uh, counted there. That would be the estimate and it literally says, I can make no estimation in the law, that would be the estimate that would be a violation of, of SB202. Right, right. And you can't even attempt to estimate. So you can even be a bad estimator and be against the wow. and, and be violating the law. I laugh, but it's not funny, as you know. And it's, it's just completely absurd that they have gone to these lengths mm-hmm. to try to shut down transparency. So if we back up, 
to those three pillars of liberty that you were talking about, Holly. Mm-hmm. The right to vote, yep. the right to free speech, and the right to separation of powers. Mm-hmm. What's happening here is the first one that they're violating is that separation of powers. Where, where they're going to, or maybe I say the first one, but you know that is that is a key one. Once they grab all the powers, they close the doors, and then yeah, they still have to deal with the pesky press and pesky watchers. Well, not anymore. Not if they criminalize your reports. And so we can't just look at these in isolation. Yeah, we have to pull together what was their strategy in doing this. What was the strategy in concealing and saying we're going to shut down the rights of the press, we're going to shut down the rights of appointed poll watchers, mail ballot monitors, so that they um, cannot report on problems? I'm, Marilyn, I'm going to link to your uh, to your lawsuit, of course. I'm going to link to uh, AP's coverage and some of the others, and, of course, to your website uh, at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Because this You're is so important. Help on this, Brad. It's going to be expensive. Are, are you still looking for? Are you still taking donations oh, from the public yes. on we suits like this? We certainly need to, and we have a donate page on the Coalition for Good Governance, and you know we would uh, encourage anybody who's going to chip in just a little bit to help us out. Coalitionforgoodgovernance.org, uh, doing some of the most important work, as far as I'm concerned, in the nation when it comes to election integrity. Marilyn, I'm sorry I got to jump out here uh, short, but good Proud luck. To be partners with you on this. Thank you for dragging me into your nightmares. You can find <laughs> Marilyn on the Twitters at Marilyn R. Marks One. Uh, thank you, Marilyn. I suspect we'll thank talk you. soon. Good luck with the suit. My thanks as well to everyone here, uh, to my producer Tessy Doy, and to my board operator Gary Baca, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>